All right, welcome to the Friday Habit. Ben, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Um, uh, All things considered with uh, quarantine and coronavirus and all the craziness going on in the world right now. But yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about today and our, our guest. I know. I'm I'm so stoked. I think this is something that's going to benefit a lot of different people. And I know, uh, you know, benefited me as well, just being a part of it. So I'm excited to share with everybody. Yeah. You know, we've been talking with a lot of our clients, a lot of uh, my friends that run agencies and stuff. And some people are doing fine right now. Some people are kind of in crisis mode. So uh, we just wanted to talk to Sherry a little bit about stress, how to manage that, and a little bit about resilience and trying to hopefully learn some stuff for ourselves and for you all and just share Uh, whatever we can do to help kind of get through all this stuff together and uh, and stay healthy mentally. All right, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. Dr. Sherry Walling works with leaders and entrepreneurs to tackle the challenges that go along with the pursuit of an extraordinary life. She's a clinical psychologist, entrepreneur, speaker, yoga teacher, author of the best-selling book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, and the host of the Zen Founder Podcast. Sherry, uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. It's great to talk to you both today. Yeah, and that is quite a uh, a list of things to read out. I I wanted to add and client of Knapsack Creative because I think that's one of your the coolest things about you is that you worked with us. You know, I have a beautiful website, <laughs> <laughs> but I really do appreciate you taking the time to to come on the show. And I've been ever since we originally talked, I've been very impressed with all the things you're doing to help the entrepreneur community as a clinical psychologist. So, in this kind of time of uncertainty with coronavirus and all that. It's going on. We really wanted to have you on the show and just try to get some some insight from you on some of the challenges that entrepreneurs are facing right now and then how can they be more resilient in the challenges they're facing right now. So what are some of those things that you've noticed like in the last, you know, few days or weeks that people are are dealing with the most? Has your phone been <laughs> ringing off the hook? <laughs> Has everyone been calling you like, I need to I talk. Have a question. <laughs> I just lost a big client. I've had to fire yeah, people. Yeah, it is, um, you know, <laughs> it is a busy time for me. And my background as a clinical psychologist is really specifically in the area of, of trauma and stress. And I started doing work around trauma and stress with people in the military, with first responders, with physicians. So people with what I call high intensity jobs. And that kind of rolled into working with entrepreneurs because they also have really high intensity jobs. So in a way, like this is my Super Bowl. Like this is what I train for, which is a terrible thing to say. I'm doing a lot of free work, which is I'm totally fine with. But you know, I, I'm grateful to be one of many mental health professionals who do have we kind of live in this space of chaos in some ways. So it's good that there are people like me who have some training and some experience and expertise that can be helpful in times like this. And I think to speak to the first part of your question, like what are people experiencing? I I generally think people are kind of walking around with a feeling of being really unsettled. Like yeah. it's that tension in your stomach or you can't really take a deep breath. 
partially because we know that something's wrong and things are bad, but we don't really know what it means yet. Yes, exactly. I've, I've had that feeling of mm-hmm. kind of like this, uh, kind of like when you're knocked out of your, your weekly or daily routine and you don't have those things that you're used to holding on to, like whatever you're, you're used to is just kind of your whole world's a little different. And you're like, I almost feel like, wait, nothing's really wrong, but I just feel a little bit unsettled, like you said. Yeah, I think it depends on your business. So I definitely have clients and and friends who are in either a brick and mortar business or an e-commerce business, like a friend who, you know, runs several clinics. And so those kinds of businesses sort of shut down overnight in some ways. So people are already doing layoffs and people are already... Um, really kind of going into crisis mode. And then there are those of us who do either consulting or work online or, you know, build beautiful websites for people. And it's like so far so good, but we don't yet know how long it will last and what the rollout will be and and when the clients that we already have relationships with will start running out of money themselves. You know, it's kind of the trickle down. For sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, okay, everyone's cool right now, but I think when I send invoices <laughs> out... <laughs> <laughs> that's when I might start to get some pushback. And it, I think we just, that sense of unknowing is really unsettling for people. I think especially for entrepreneurs, because most of us are pretty good at kind of having a vision, thinking ahead, making a plan and executing, right? If we're successful, we know how to do those steps. And right now it's sort of like, get ready for something terrible, but there's no parameters and right. you can't make a plan really. I mean, you could kind of, but so those of us who have, you know, in a positive way, like a high need to control and a high ability to plan and control our lives, all that's kind of going out the window in a way that's really uncomfortable. Yeah, that's me. I like to design everything. I like creating processes. And I think I find I find some comfort in that when I when I create a process that I can follow and don't have to think about it. But now since so many things are out of the ordinary, I think it's even just adding a lot of extra mental load for me personally, because each project is kind of a one-off basis because, you know, maybe we need to figure out a way to tweak pricing for this client or, you know, somebody's coming to us saying like, Hey, is it okay if I pay you later? I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's figure it out. You know, but all those things just take even extra time figuring that out. Um, and, and I've also noticed with, you know, some of my, my friends, um, their businesses, some of them are more diversified than others, but if you're relying, you know, an agency relying on a lot of stuff for, from a restaurant industry, for example, or something like that, you know, I had a friend come to me and he had to lay off some of his employees because of the situation going on in some of those clients that he lost. What would you say to somebody that is actually, their business is going through really tough times right now? What are some practical things they can do to kind of deal with that, to be more resilient? You know, and maybe you can even speak to what resilience means actually, and, and how that actually is a, something that um, can benefit you in the long term. Yeah. You know, Ben, you used a word that I I've been using a lot lately or a term, which is the term mental load, um, which is the sense that all of us are walking around with heavier weight than normal, emotionally, psychologically, just information in our brains. And, um, I think all of us will do ourselves a great service if we just create as much cushion as possible and really make sure that we're protecting 
our internal resources as much as we can, which means the simple stuff. It means sleeping, protecting our sleep as much as possible, like getting off the news feeds so that we're not laying in bed, like reading about the world in crisis, but that we're like setting ourselves up to sleep well, that we're moving our bodies as much as is possible, given the parameters that we're now living under that limit gym time and things like that. Um, Making sure that we're taking care of fueling our bodies properly. So watching the alcohol intake, watching the sugar intake, those seem like super basic things. But I think if those basic things aren't in place, we start to lose our cognitive flexibility and our emotion regulation pretty quickly, especially under an additional mental load. So before we move to resilience, I would even think about prevention first. Okay. How do we prevent an internal implosion by making sure we're being as protective as possible over our mental health? And then I think following that, if you know those of you who are listening whose businesses are really struggling or you're anticipating that you know the struggle is coming, first of all, again, before resilience, I think we probably need to have a conversation about grief. And having a space within ourselves, within our company, within our families to talk about the things that have that are being lost, the freedoms that are being lost, the potential that's being lost, the work that we've done that's now getting undone right. because of things we can't control. Like there's a lot of emotional grief and loss that goes along with that that I I don't want us to ignore because mm. I think if we do ignore it, it's one of those things that will sort of grab us later when we least expect it. Wow. So you're saying that things like being disappointed that something, a goal that you're working on isn't going to be met or the feeling of, of letting someone go or that team being broken up or things like that. You're saying that we need to, to actually grieve that. Yeah. I think we can count those as losses. I mean, hmm. even the fact like, you know, your kid's not going to have little league season. Yeah. Like a lot of rhythms of our life are disrupted. So what does grieving look like? Yeah. I'm not very uh, in touch with my emotions. <laughs> and so, you know, when someone says grieve, I'm like, mm. like, does that mean cry? Or like, <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Yeah, I think we have ways of like behaviorally ritualizing grief that are actually right, really helpful, which is, you know, if you think about going to a funeral, you, you know, you, you gather with people, which you know, you may not be able to do physically right now, but you kind of get your crew around you. You talk about what's lost. Like, you know, Mm. you say, you say the words about the person that you lost in that scenario. You gather, you might cry, you're emotionally expressive, and then you eat cake, you know, like you gather, (laughs) which is again, super tricky because we can't really gather right now, but those are the things that that are our rituals of grief. We talk about what's lost and we share communally in that sense of loss. So, you know, I think for companies who maybe need to do mass layoffs or for entrepreneurs who are really struggling, like it is a time to gather your crew, Mm -hmm. get your zoom call going. The people that you are in, you know, a mastermind with, or are in some, you know, other business owners, people that you're connected to, if you're really having a hard time, don't don't hide in shame. Get up there with your 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 crew that you trust and say, "Hey, I had to lay everybody off and I feel really shitty. Like I'm having a hard time. Can you just sort of sit with me and eat virtual cake together and just <laughs> yeah. sort of sit in it?" Yeah, and so what does that do? What does grieving do for you? It helps us to move emotion through our bodies. Okay. Yeah, I think we can get stuck in feelings and when we don't 
give them some air time, they can get sort of stagnant inside of us. And I think that's a precursor to resilience, right? Resilient people aren't people who just put on like the Pollyanna, like it's all good. I got this. It's fine. I just had to lay off 50 people, but whatever. The sun's shining. Like that's, that's not true resilience, right? Right. Resilience honors like, Hey, this is hard. It's painful. And I'm, still moving. Like I keep going no matter the fact that it's hard. Hmm. That's good. So what's the next step then? So if we grieve and we kind of acknowledge those things, you know, as a group, you know, with our team or whoever it might be, what can we do after that, after grief, once we've kind of processed those emotions, what can we do next to move forward? Yeah. I mean, it's not perfectly a stage in the sense that sometimes these things happen kind of simultaneously. Okay. But things that I talk with people about, Um, related to loss, either loss of a company or loss of a person is like, what's kind of the next meaningful move you can make? Sometimes that might be being able to do something that has a significant or important contribution, but might maybe isn't related to your business. Maybe that's working in a garden for a little while, something where you are doing something productive and helpful to yourself, to people around you Hmm. so that you don't feel frozen you want to be able to hold negative emotion, but not feel like you're paralyzed. So finding something you can help with or do is it often a really helpful next question. Mm, that's re- that's really smart. I was thinking about this the other day when we were talking about recording this, and I was thinking about for myself, you know, what what helps me get through stuff like this. And it seemed like something that helps me is to to focus on other people and like look at the communities around me and say, hey, what is everybody else needing? And then I'm not thinking so much, not to, maybe that's not healthy, I don't know. But it's not like saying like, not to ignore my own problems, but also to not focus on those constantly, but also kind of see like, all right, let's think about our clients, you know, our our membership clients, how can we give them a break for a while or something, you know, so they don't have any payments coming in or, I know there's some, you know, mortgage companies, you know, are are giving a break to people depending on, you know, what's uh, what their payments are and their financial situation and stuff. So how can we be thinking about helping others? And if everyone does that, then I feel like we get to the point where, you know, even if we're not exchanging paid services, we're still helping each other. And it's one of those things where I guess to me it helps take my mind off of it. Is that something that's healthy? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely a thing. <laughs> yeah. When there's a body of psychological research that supports that as a, as a good plan, Ben. I mean, basically it feels good to help other people. And especially when we've reached the edge of what's controllable for us in our own lives, if we can, you know, help bring about a positive outcome for someone else, that's the next best thing. Yeah. That's, that seems like powerful. And it seems like opportunity may come from that as well. You know, something that you were selflessly serving someone else. And when all this is over, that may come back to you in a positive way. Not that you would do something in order to get something, but just the benefits of of being good and um, giving, you know, back. Contributing to the world in whatever form you can, in whatever way you can, is, is almost always positive for you from a mental health perspective or from a, you know, professional networking perspective or, you know, however you slice it. I think we're talking a lot about counterbalance, right? When, when something is lost, we see what we can make. When something feels out of control, we see what is controllable. When we feel helpless, we think, how can I be helpful to somebody else? 
So whatever kind of negative state, emotional state we're in, not to rush through it, not to ignore it, but think about how to counterbalance it with its sort of natural opposite. Hmm. So earlier you mentioned um, running, you mentioned, I, I, it may have been actually one of your other podcasts I listened to, but you had mentioned uh, deep breathing, things like that. What are some things that we can do that are almost like habits that we can establish? Is it healthy for us now to try to establish habits that we can control with everything else that's going on? Or what would you recommend as far as some practical things that people can do on maybe like a daily or weekly basis to help? Yeah, I think one of the things that we can quickly lose sight of is the fact that um, anxiety, fear, like all of the things that are kind of swimming around us right now, those states live in our bodies. So our bodies are absorbing the anxiety around us, which is why, you know, some of us are having sore shoulders and sore muscles already. It's why it can feel a little bit harder to breathe. I mean, we might be thinking, oh no, do I have the virus? But really, no, you're, you're just, you're stressed. <laughs> so the ways that we can um, creatively reorganize our lives so that we are helping to manage the anxiety that lives in our bodies is a really great investment right now. So whether that's running, whether that's starting a yoga practice, there's lots of yoga studios that are putting uh, classes online right now. Um, if you haven't had a meditation practice, this is a great time to find some kind of practice that is helps to calm and center your body and helps you to regulate your breath. Your breath is a big, um, sort of physiological component that helps determine how anxious your body feels. So if you can practice taking slow, deep breaths, that's an, it's a fantastically helpful tool to really counteract some of the physi physiological um, experiences of anxiety. That's fascinating. So you're saying that actually the speed of your breathing can affect how your body feels? Totally. Yeah. So we have right this great emergency response system in our bodies. This you know, this, um, this system that says, all right, there's a threat. So all of these things change in your body, your blood flows differently, your, your heart beats faster, your breath is faster, like you're ready, you know, it's the fight or flight response, you're ready to respond in your body. But when that doesn't shut down, then we see all of these like negative health outcomes that have to do with, you know, too much cortisol living in our bodies, um, too much muscle tension. This stress response system isn't meant to stay with us. So the fastest way to kind of kick over into the like all clear response or the calm system is through um, the vagus nerve, which is this large nerve. It's the largest nerve in the body that is right in our, it's sort of has its tendrils in our brainstem and then it goes all the way down our spinal cord and has little pieces that touch every single one of our major organs. So that, that system is what helps us enact the all clear system. Huh. And it's really integrated with our breath. If you think about it, it's almost impossible to be really stressed out and take really calm, slow, low in your belly, deep breaths. Wow. Like it, our bodies just don't work like that. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Would you recommend people do this at work? You know, close your eyes while all your coworkers are sitting next to you. Just close your eyes, fold your legs up and breathe deeply. Like what, what, in what you, situations? Closing your eyes is optional. Okay. So it doesn't have to be with your eyes closed. It doesn't have to <laughs> right. be. Yeah. Um, you know, the way I teach people to do this is to put one hand over their belly button 
and take a deep breath in and look down at your hand and see if you can move your hand as you inhale, which is a sign that your breath is going low into your diaphragm as opposed to in your chest. Hmm. So you want your breath to go low because again, you're counterbalancing hyperventilation. You're counterbalancing an anxious breath, which is fast and shallow. You want your breath to be slow and low. So if you put your hand over your belly and you take a big breath in and you can see your hand move away from your spinal cord, sort of like a balloon is inflating in your belly as you inhale. And then when you exhale, you're pulling your hand in towards your spinal cord and deflating that balloon. So if you can do that and breathe for four seconds in and four seconds out, so really slowing your breath down, Usually it's about four or five, six breaths to, to change the emotional or change the anxious state of your body. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Super simple. That is so cool. Just like that. Just like that. <laughs> People are like, oh, you do this because you're a yoga teacher. And Actually, I started doing this when I worked um, in the veterans hospital with people who had recently returned from combat who had PTSD. So they needed a tool really fast to help mm. counteract the the amount of upset that they felt in their bodies. So, you know, we do it in yoga too, but it has, at least in my life, it has its roots in really, really upset people um, as a tool to help calm down. Wow. I just love how simple that is. You always, you can, anytime, no matter what's happening, pretty much you could stop and do that and actually change how your body feels. I think that's amazing. And it's funny. I've, I was at a conference one time and I remember uh, the speaker telling everybody to do that. I think he did actually ask everybody to close their mm-hmm. eyes and it was a room of maybe 500 people. And I looked around and it was funny before I closed my eyes and there was people next to me like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this deep breathing thing. They were so skeptical, you know, but I tried it and I was like, man, I really do feel better. And so it's cool to hear the scientific part of how that works because I think some people are skeptical, like, oh, that's just, you know, mumbo jumbo or something like that, which I, I didn't know the science behind it, but I knew that it actually would help. So I think that's that's really interesting to learn that. So you're talking about how this deep breathing can help us and stuff like that and and the grief process and stuff like that. Can you tell us a little bit about resilience? Is that important in this situation? Is that something, um, could you help define that for us and tell us, is that something that it can be developed or how does that work? Yeah, I think a really lovely, simple definition of resilience is is bounce back ability. Okay. <laughs> I don't okay. even know if that's yeah. a term. But... I think you should, you should coin it. That, that can be your next book. It could be a t-shirt, pounds back ability. Um, but it, it is, yeah, just how well you can kind of take a punch and pop back up. Um, and when we're talking about a situation like this, there are lots of levels of resilience. Okay. There's the practical resilience of how do you sort of put yourself back together as a business owner. Right. Probably the more immediately controllable part is emotional resilience, which is that when you feel... Um, discouraged or upset or afraid or any of those negative states, how do you shift into or choose to live in a place of joy or playfulness or creativity? And we do have some control over how we feel. It's not perfect, but when we have done our grieving work and when we have, you know, controlled our breath and sort of taking care of our bodies, then we do have some choices, which are, is it time to mope or is it time to sort of 
go play? Is it time to engage with other people? Is it time to be helpful? So emotional resilience is something that is possible for all of us, no matter really sort of how serious or dire the situation is. It's the choice to be loving instead of angry or playful instead of depressed. Um, And it's a skill, right? Play is a skill. Your ability to let yourself joyfully engage with something purely because it's fun when it feels like the world is falling apart. It sounds like a crazy idea, (laughs) but it's really, really powerful uh, for our mental health. Hmm. That's good. I I haven't really heard that before. And once again, it's like one of those things where I don't know if thinking about business or growing my business is play, but it's like my mind is always in that space. So trying to break from that and actually do something that's not related to that, I think is uh, interesting to think about. Mark, I think lots of entrepreneurs are in your shoes. Like our businesses are pretty fun. You know, they're, they're creative, they're interesting, mm-hmm. they flow out of things we care about and are good at. So I think in a, really in a perfect world, there's a lot of overlap between work and play in the life of an entrepreneur. But when, when work becomes more painful or problematic or out of control, that's where you want to sort of kick back over into some other play mechanisms that um, don't overlap so deeply with work. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, I think of even me uh, going with my family to the beach and I'll sit there on the beach for about an hour and I'll like, all right, I'm going to hold still. I'm going to relax for one hour. And then, all right, I'm like, where's the biggest shovel I can find? I'm going to dig a giant hole and we're going to make a huge sandcastle, you know? It's like that that antsiness. <laughs> and it took, me, it took me probably a day or two when my wife and I went on our last vacation to just kind of be able to relax even, you know? I know that's, I don't know that's the same thing as play, but just that that feeling of like, hey, I need to, to not be so tightly wound and always have to be building or creating something, but actually be able to enjoy some stillness too. Yeah. It's the opposite of that drivenness that most of us live in. So whether it's playfully digging a hole and making a castle, or it's just the ability to practice being still on the beach and hearing the waves and watching the birds, both of those are wonderful activities and they both are a nice counterbalance to the drivenness of like must execute to-do list. Right. That makes sense. So one thing we like to do uh, at the end of each of our podcast episodes is we really like to give our listeners like one practical recommendation for the week. What's something they can actually do this week to be able to, you know, to do something that's related to the topic, like be more resilient or, or have less stress in their life. So what would you say is like one practical thing people could do this week to help uh, deal with the crisis they may be going through? Yeah, I'm recommending that people choose a, a quarantine project. Okay. Whether that's, you know, getting some paints and and canvas and like remembering your art class from college, whether it's picking up your old guitar, but something that is not related to your business, that is not watching the news, that is not you (laughs) on a screen, right? but is a project that you can have at the ready when you need some healthy distraction. And for some of those things, it takes a little bit of planning, right? You might need to get some music or, you know, get some new strings on your, you you might need to do some things to put that in place. But I think making that plan and having it ready is a really helpful play relaxation strategy that will kind of help see you through some of the challenge that may be ahead. I love that. I think I have something in mind. I, my, uh, 
my mom actually got me a leather working kit for Christmas that I have not gotten to open up yet because all the craziness. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to try that. My son and I have been wanting to, to do that. So maybe we'll crack that open. I know Mark's been over there with his daughter making popcorn and becoming an internet sensation over there. Yeah, Evelyn. <laughs> She's in here right now. She's like, let's awesome. make some popcorn. <laughs> I've, I've loved watching those videos, Mark. It's been amazing. <laughs> So, um, Sherry, where can people learn more about you? I know you have the Zen Founder podcast and you have so many other things going on. What's the best way for people to find out more about your services, how you help people and that kind of thing? Well, thankfully, some lovely people built me a really beautiful website <laughs> where people can learn all about those things. Shameless plug. Thank you. Well placed. Well placed. Um, yeah, I do have a book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, which my 13-year-old titled. Oh, um, good. Yeah. I totally blame his father <laughs> for that language, but, um, whatever it works. Um, <laughs> so that's on Amazon and audible and Kindle and all those places. And I, not to, again, not to plug my own work, but it, it, it is an attempt to summarize a lot of what I've learned about entrepreneurial mental health in the last couple of years. So hopefully there's some, uh, timely utility there. And then of course the podcast comes out every Friday and it's, Free for all. <laughs> Sometimes it. it's a free for all, but it's also free. It's so free. there you yeah, go. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, we really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care of both of you. Oh, man. I, I love this episode. Thank you for you know knowing her and uh, bringing her on the show. I feel fortunate that we could have her on here and, and talk about that stuff. Yeah. So a couple of things to recap. A few points that we took away are keep a healthy routine, limit the amount of negative input from media, that kind of thing. Take the time to let yourself grieve if you've gone through something hard in your business and also learn to breathe deeply to regulate stress. So those are kind of my four big takeaways. And your action item for this week is to find yourself a quarantine project, something that's not work-related. You know, maybe you've been putting off painting the fence or building some sort of chair. I don't know what it is you're into, but it's probably awesome. On next week's episode, we're going to be talking about seven ways you can improve your website. So we'll go through a few tips that you can kind of do on your own to look through your existing website and figure out if there's things you can do to make it better. That's right. And also go to the FridayHabit.com to find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find the link to our website and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week to dedicate to working on your business instead of working in your business. Thanks so much for listening to the Friday Habit. And remember, until next time, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.